Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be on the show, you could always give a call here to the listener hotline 303-832-0217. And all my contact information is in the description of this program. For the longest time, I've wanted to talk to a train engineer to learn about what it's like to be riding the rails, and now I finally have the opportunity. You see, it was it, it was National Rail Safety Week a few weeks ago, and I was offered up some experts to talk about the dangers of collisions with a train, and not just cars and trucks, as we've seen from countless videos, but also with people involved with a train collision. Yeah, people walking on or around the tracks are hit and killed every year, even worse, A research report titled Railroads, an Often Overlooked Danger to Children, released by Safe Kids Worldwide, finds that a child is killed in a train collision every five days. That was stunning news to me. With that, I wanted to talk not only about rail safety, but also what it's like to be a train engineer. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to do both with Buck Russell. Buck is Union Pacific Railroads, manager of public safety, but also... Long-time Class 1 locomotive engineer. Buck, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Good morning, and thank you. So, Buck, we'll talk about the public safety stuff in just a minute. I really wanted to explore not only your experiences as a train engineer, but but how you became interested in working for the railroads. As I understand it, you were a police officer first investigating a train collision, and that's how you got involved in the railroads. That is correct. I was a police officer in a small town just south of San Antonio, and the uh, unfortunately the train had struck a vehicle, and I was I responded to investigate it. Uh, during the investigation, I got talking to the train crew about pay and benefits, and well, twenty six years later, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> you you go through the process to be an engineer. And and then there you are, right? So you, so you decide you're going to be an engineer, and you're going through that process, through that training, and then and then you get behind the controls of your own locomotive. What what was that feeling like? Did you feel like you were ten years old with a with a smile from ear to ear when you were in that cabin? You really do. I mean, you start out as a brakeman, a helper, and you learn how things are and what's what and how to do it safely. Because uh, that is always number one, because that equipment is cold, hard steel, and it's very unforgiving. So safety is always number one, not only Union Pacific, but all railroads. Uh, and then you promote to a conductor who's actually, the conductor is the boss of the train, their administrator of the train. They kind of decide the work that's going to be done and how it's going to be done. And then I was fortunate enough to uh, promote to engineer. Uh, and uh, so you're physically in control of the train. You're like, the pilot of an airline uh, and uh, to have all of that horsepower, the average locomotive weighs about 500,000 pounds and they're in the area of 3,000 to 4,000 horsepower per locomotive train two miles long. And it's amazing that you can make that go uh, up to 70 miles an hour in freight service safely and abide by all the operating rules and traffic laws, I guess you would put it, uh, on the railroad. 
so take me into the cabin of the locomotive. For, for I mean, it has to be so much larger up close than it is from a distance that most of us see a train. I mean, being there, climbing up in, in into the cabin, it, it just has to be a, a really an amazing sight. Take us into the cabin of the locomotive. It's it's like entering the beast, I guess you could put it. You know, it's about 20 feet tall, 70 plus feet long, about 4,000, 5,000 horsepower. And you can feel the pistons moving up and down inside the engine. You know, and the engine, the diesel engine powers an electric generator, which we put power to the traction motors. So the horsepower is about, you know, 4,000 horsepower. But when we physically run the train, we're pulling electricity, we're pulling amperage. So you run amperage. And it's just that it's it's just a monster of a machine and everything behind you. It's just you can feel it. You run a train by by the seat of your pants, you feel it in your whole body. You set up straight with your back against the chair and your feet down on the ground, and you can actually feel the train pulling you, pushing you, and you make the decisions. Do you need some air brakes? Do you need to just kind of come off the throttle a little bit or other braking systems? It's just amazing the technology that we have, but you have the most modern state-of-the-art technology, multi-million dollar locomotive. And one of the things that always fascinates me and that I teach is that when you're going up a hill and say it's a wet, we spray sand in front of the steel wheels on the steel rail, turn the rail into sandpaper, and it keeps the wheels from slipping and tearing the train apart. So modern 21st century locomotives, Cowboy and Indian technology actually help us keep it going. You know, it's funny when, when I'm going to work, I, I get to work at three 30 in the morning and, and, and it, it, inevitably I'm hearing the blaring of a horn, uh, of one of the big trains, freight trains that's rolling through downtown Denver. Right. And I'm thinking, how could we ever have flying cars and be the Jetsons if we still have 1800s technology rolling through our cities, you know? And, it, it, you know, people, they they have some folks have concerns with the horn. The horn is a safety device, and we are mandated by federal regulations to sound that horn at all public roadways. We start sounding the horn a quarter mile. That's 15 to 20 seconds before the train enters the crossing. And so people are like, well, that engineer, they, they just lay on the horn. That's kind of correct, because if there's multiple crossings back to back to back, when we hit the uh, the surface of the crossing, we lay on the horn until the crossing is completely occupied. And then we do that for all the crossings that are back to back to back. So we do sound the horn. It is a warning device uh, per federal regulations. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that uh, as well as some of the safety zone areas that are now more silent where you don't hear the train horns in, in some cities. We'll talk about that coming up in just a bit. My guest is uh, Buck Russell. He's the Union Pacific Railroad's manager of public safety. We're talking about railroading and we'll also be talking about safety around the trains. W- what does the cabin look like from your vantage point what are you seeing when you're sitting there in the uh, engineer's seat what do you see how does it run how does it work uh, you i mean it, the cabins now we uh, a lot of them are called whisper cabs you actually don't hear the horn inside the cab uh, on the modern locomotives you know to save the hearing of the employees and everything else you know there's a lot of things around that uh, you actually have in the computer screens or lights that tell you that the horn is actually sounding but you're you're set inside a, a room basically you're set inside the office and there's a system of controls on a control stand uh and then they're to the left and to the right in front or straight ahead in front of you the problem is is you can't see you start losing 
what you see as the locomotive approaches because you're setting so high, you have the nose of the locomotive, and then you lose sight exactly what's in front of you. Uh, so the engineer on most locomotives sits on the right side of the cab, and the conductor, uh, he or she sits on the left side of the cab. And occasionally we have a trainee who would sit in the middle seat uh, and, you know, they're, they're like an airplane, you know, they have yeah. refrigerators, we have uh, relief facilities, uh, <laughs> okay. I guess you could put it. <laughs> uh, but no, they they actually ride really nice. Uh, and the, the chairs have uh, cushions in them. And you kind of bounce up and down as you hit, you know, some spots on the tracks and stuff like that. Uh, the, the engineers who design these things have done great work with them. Did you run lo more long distance rides or short runs? My longest distance out of San Antonio, uh, I live in San Antonio. I ran trains west to Del Rio and Eagle Pass, uh, south to Laredo, Texas, uh, north kind of to a, a city called Hearn that is near Bryan College Station where Texas A&M University is at. And then uh, Houston. Houston was our longest run out of San Antonio, 216 miles. Uh, and per federal law, the train crew can perform, uh, perform service for 12 hours. Uh, and then we have a, a van system that comes and takes us off the train or gets a new crew, or uh, we make it to the yard, uh, the, the yarding tracks, and we put the train in a yard, and then a yard crew takes it over and uh, divvies up the train, divides up the train, and takes it to serve our customers. And, and when you're out on one of these longer runs, are you there like when we're driving uh, along the highway where we have to just basically stare at, at the roadway or, or can you just look around and enjoy the scenery and, and see the sights as you pass them? You run it every day. It's kind of like autopilot. You, it's like when you go home, you're just like, what am I doing home? You know where the traffic lights are, you know, the speed limits. And it's the same thing with us, you know, where the hills are, the up, down, uh, the bridges are, you know, all the traffic control systems that are on the tracks and all the speed limits and curbs associated with it. And so you're not really on autopilot, but you're very, very familiar with the territory that you're on. Plus you have the conductor uh, who is reminding you, hey, don't forget, in two miles, we have a speed restriction. In a mile, we have a speed restriction. All right, we're good. Hey, we're clear of the restriction. Let's pick back up our speed. So we work as a team in the cab to safely deliver what we need to our customers. And, and you as a team are are really together for several days in a row, right? It's not like you're showing up nine to five and then you go home and you come back the next day. No, every day on the road where I predominantly was, uh, the road your every day is somebody different so an average trip to get somewhere you know eight to 12 hours then you uh the company provides lodging for us and then you're called back to return home and then you have federal rules with mandatory rest kind of like a semi-driver yeah. they can only perform service and they have certain hours they cannot work uh until they go back behind uh, the, the steering wheel again which of course we don't have steering right. wheels back behind the throttle <laughs> right but it's a couple of days on couple of days off kind of a thing i'm sure right yeah yeah and the company has done a lot of great things with the scheduling for the train crews a little more predictability uh they're working hand over fist to 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 make the life much better for our employees and, and you said you you were mostly south there in texas and and across the southern united states uh were there other parts of the country that you that you wanted to see were there uh, do you have a favorite route would you would you have liked to come up like into the rocky mountains up here in colorado well i was about to say not just because you're in denver <laughs> but uh the moffett tunnel oh, tunnel sure. uh, traveling through the mountains uh, that would just be i'm i'm I, 
South Texas, right? <laughs> Mesquite, oak trees, very few hills. But then to come into territory where you're at would just be phenomenal. Operate a train in the snow and the side of mountains through the tunnels would be just an incredible opportunity. Yeah. Maybe before I retire. Yeah, it, you should take the train. There is an Amtrak train that goes from Denver to Glenwood Springs. And I've run that route, and it's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. To go through the Moffat Tunnel, it is dark in there, and, and they close down all the vents so they don't get, they don't get the exhaust there in the, uh, in the train. And it's dark, and, and you're in there for a lot longer than you expect. But then coming out of there, going through uh, Granby and, and Kremlin and then going over to the Colorado River, it is spectacular country because you're seeing a part of the state – and, and you probably experienced this with with your routes that yeah. there are no roads, and so you are seeing things that the normal driver doesn't see, and, and it's only by train that you can see these sites. And it's great. I mean, the wildlife you see, yeah. the beautiful ranches we go through, amazing sunsets and sunrises. Just it's it brings a tear to your eye how beautiful <laughs> it can be because you have no no uh light noise you know light pollution from the cities or nothing you're 100 miles from anybody and you're sitting there on a train and it's just like they pay me to do this yeah. <laughs> to stare out the window <laughs> that's amazing my guest is buck russell he's union pacific railroads manager of public safety we're talking about railroading and talk about uh, safety around trains here in just a second in some urban areas uh, there are trains that, that they will stop and sometimes they block roads for 10 or 20 or 30 minutes. Do you, do, do you as a train engineer, uh, try to limit that time across a road? Do you, do you not think about it much? Do you know that, that some of the folks that are trying to get through there are, are inconvenienced and maybe getting bugged that a, that a train's blocking their, their favorite road? We do have maps, you know, the crews know their territory and they know how much the train they can fit between crossings. If possible, you know, we try to uh, separate the train uh, and uh, allow traffic to move or, you know, we're mechanical. So sometimes it's just a little bit beyond the train crew's control, but we have response teams that come out and immediately working on kind of like NASCAR. They're, they're there, they're ready to go and they have all the tools and the training they need to address anything out in the field. Uh, but we do understand the the disruptions it commi- uh, creates in the communities we operate in, and we do everything we can to stay off those crossings and park the train out of town or communicate with our dispatch teams and our operating managers about when we can go or cannot go. And uh, it's, it's the open lines of communication that we have with ourselves and our 7,300 uh, communities we operate in. Right. What what kind of a career is working for the railroads? Is it is it rewarding? Is it worth it? If if you could talk to your younger self, would you tell yourself you should get into the railroad industry earlier? I think I've made some very good choices. <laughs> you know, uh, like I said, former police officer, so I've always had safety in mind, and that's why I lean towards the safety side, educating the young ones, uh, our, our our senior drivers, and everybody in between. Uh, but the railroad has taken very good care of me. Uh, I, I have a high school diploma. College was not my thing. I chose a military route, uh, did some time in the Gulf War and stuff like that, became a police officer, and then the railroad come a calling. But the railroad has financially taken very, very good care of me, and the retirement is amazing. So 26 years in, I got four, maybe eight more years, and we'll see how it goes. But no, the, I cannot complain about the lifestyle the, the life the railroad has provided me. I, I work when I'm asked to 
work uh, uh, substance free yeah. and work safely. Safety is always number one on the railroad. Yeah, and is it is it a is it a career that you think younger folks could get into now and serve like you have nearly thirty years on the railroad? Absolutely, we're always hiring uh, anything from mechanical to welders to track folks to train crews. Uh, we need managers, uh, you know, uh, folks who are just getting out of college and looking for a great company. Uh, you know, a large corporation, you know, we we're founded in 1862 by Abraham Lincoln, part of the Transcontinental Railroad. And a company that is established is not going anywhere and get their college degree, put it to use and benefit the railroad and the communities we work in. Right. My guest is Buck Russell, Union Pacific Railroad Manager of Public Safety, talking about being safe around the trains and also some railroading. Uh, when I was uh, flying around in the traffic helicopter, I would average seeing, and I, I it's it's sad to say this, but it, it was a fact of life. I, I would average seeing a dead person once a week. And that sticks with you as a locomotive engineer you were personally involved in two train versus pedestrian incidents. Uh, I know you had one highway grade crossing collision. And, and I'm sure as I'm just speaking about it right now in your mind, you're probably flashing back to those and you can probably see them in your mind right now. I will never forget them. Uh, it, every time you went over that section of track, even when I go to the towns, I'm thinking always, oh, I remember, I remember, you know, and mostly when they're younger, uh, you know, the youngest one that was, the, she was 19. Uh, I understand she did survive. I did not want to know if she did or did not. I just, my own personal, if she didn't, it just kind of deal with it. Uh, everybody handles it a little different. We do have processes that we get the crews off the train. We have uh, peer to peer peer counselors. And if somebody needs a little bit more help after that peer to peer talk, then we have professionals that can take over and uh, get them back to work and get them focused on work uh, without other things involved that they need to, to, to deal with what they witness. Cause nobody goes to work wanting to see someone's loved one either fatally or life changing injuries, you know, on the railroad. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a area of the railroad tracks, uh, that are fascinating to people. They're, they're, it's just fun to be around, especially as a kid. I, I think of the movie Stand By Me when the kids are walking down the track, right? <laughs> why, why are the people you, you think uh, attracted so much to these tracks? Are, are they just walking? Are they just taking a shortcut? Are, are they? Uh, do they live near the tracks and just try to cross over? It, it appears there's numerous uh, reasons. Uh, I think the most disturbing ones that get me are when Adults put children in that situation. Schools that take pictures of volleyball teams or graduation pictures on the tracks. There's a lot of wedding pictures. It has that nostalgia. Uh, it's a different look. You know, your your life is going down the tracks happily ever after, after you're married. Yeah. And then a train comes around the corner. And, you know, unfortunate things happen. But it's just convenience uh mom and dad used to take the shortcut on the tracks nothing ever happened to them i'll do it too uh they don't understand it is private property trains are deceptively quiet you cannot hear a train sneaking up on you uh you're you're listening for the clickety clack we don't have that anymore uh plumes of smoke we are uh our carbon footprint is you know is so cut in half it's like our carbon footprint on union pacific is like 75 percent less than semi-trucks so you can't see the smoke, you can't hear the train, and then next thing you know, we're on top of you. 
Yeah, I think the older trains, you would hear the whistle more often. Uh, they were louder. They shake the ground. And even the, the locomotives that you're talking about that you were on, I, I, I know from dining at a restaurant, one of my favorite places is right next to a, a Union Pacific track. And when the train comes through there, it, it rumbles the ground. But it, it's still quieter, I think, than the older trains. It, it, it Maybe that's why, if, if you want to speculate, is that why people are caught off guard when it comes to being hit, a, hit by a train? They just, they're just they just not aware. They're in their own mind and, and not being paid. They mm-hmm. go, it, it, it looks like an empty track, so why would there be a train here? And then they do, or I've never seen a train. Well, yeah. Freight service, we do not run on a schedule. Uh, we run at our, our customers, you know, and the customers, uh, the, the commitments we have made to them. Uh, so, you know, they, all oh, the old number five would be here at five o'clock. That is not the case. We do not run on a schedule. Uh, but also the technology, I mean, the headphones we put in our ears, noise canceling headphones, not only do they cancel out crying babies on an airplane, but they cancel out the, the sound of a train horn and everything else. And they think, oh, I can feel a train, but there's no rumbling. There's no clickety clack. There's no smoke. And, you know, they think they're going to hear but or they're distracted. Uh, you know, personally, I carry two cell phones, uh, one work, one phone, one home. And so I have two cameras with me, two devices to to distract me. And if you do it around the train tracks, those are when unfortunately events happen. Can you as a train engineer, are, are you able to see down the track a, a long distance? Do you have any kind of a, or would maybe this be a decent idea is to have some kind of a, a radar? I, I know airplanes have have that sort of technology. Now, I know they they're have uh, uh, their uh, uh, systems in the airplane that, that tell you where, where all the other airplanes are. But do you have other cameras maybe that can see down the track? So maybe you can find, see these people before you, you have some kind of an incident? Um, uh, right now there's no technology that I know of radars and stuff like that. I, I do know the federal railroad administration, our governing body, uh, they are always looking to improve plus union Pacific internally, our engineering mechanical forces, they're always looking to improve the technology and our, our people come up with a lot of creative things and just, you know, uh, it takes time to put it out there, but yeah, we can see down the track. Uh, and a lot of times you're kind of like, you know, what is that kind of, you know, maybe come off the throttle, start slowing down. And then if you realize it's a person, a vehicle or some other other object, then, you know, you hit the emergency brakes. And of course, when you hit the emergency brakes, the average 55 or uh, average 12 million pound train traveling at only 55 miles an hour can take a mile or more to come to a stop. And after the crew hits the emergency brakes, there's nothing else they can do. Just lay on the horn and helps that hopes that person or that vehicle gets out of the way as they slide down the tracks. Because we can stop, but we cannot stop quickly. Is it is it is really when you throw on those emergency brakes? Is it just locking up the wheels, and then it's just that friction that's trying to stop this this train? Is there any way you turn the engine to go backwards to get those wheels going backwards, or is it just friction? It, it is just like when you, you slam on the brakes in your car and you just, oh, stop, 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 stop. You know, but unfortunately, you know, the, the it's, it's a person or, you know, people in a vehicle and, you know, there's an impact. Hopefully they, they get out of the way. But no, it's just the same as a car. You push on the brakes and it's just, you know, the rubber to the road. Here it is, steel wheels, steel rail. And you just hope they get out of the way or you stop in time. Yeah, and, and there's this program called Safe Kids that that helps uh, educate people and parents, right, about especially kids being near railroad tracks because uh, it's unfortunate when, when you're talking about, what, 
uh, uh, one child uh, uh, every five days is is uh, either hit or killed by a by a train. That that's astounding. Uh, it really is a disheartening number every five days. Uh, but unfortunately, though, about every three hours, uh, somebody in the United States is either struck. The person is struck or a vehicle is struck every three hours in the United States, according to the Federal Railroad Administration. But our partners at like Safe Kids, they get out in the communities, they help pass that on to parents. Not only do they do the railroad safety, they can talk to them about uh, uh, car seat safety, you know, watch out for snakes and everything else, the holistic thing that ensuring those children are safe in our communities. But yes, the trains are a big part of the uh, education outreach that Safe Kid does, uh, Safe Kids do with us. Also, our partners like at Operation Lifesaver Incorporated uh, in the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. So it's not only Union Pacific pushing that safety message, it's all these other partners that can get into these other organizations and push that message for us. My guest is Buck Russell, Union Pacific Railroad Manager of Public Safety. We're talking about uh, safety around trains, especially if you're a pedestrian, and, and also some railroading questions as well. Uh, I, you were you were talking about pedestrians being hit by trains, but I think we see more videos of when a truck or a car is hit by a train. Uh, what what are some of the popular reasons maybe you've heard of uh, of why people either stopped on the track or or were eventually hit by uh, by a train? Um, it's Distractions in the vehicles. There's some pretty darn good sound systems. The, the cab of a uh, of vehicles are very quiet. There's a lot of distractions in the vehicles. You know, that's one thing you see on TV commercials. You know, it has this extra large, you know, heads up display and everything else. And your 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 distractions in the vehicle, uh, your passengers distracting you. Uh, cell phones, unfortunately, yeah. also uh, texting. Uh, Folks forget to look both ways and always expect a train from any direction on any track. Uh, they don't stop. They're, the crossings are legal intersections, and there's a stop or a yield sign, and you're required by law to abide by the signage at the crossing and yield the right-of-way by law to a train. Trains have the right-of-way over everyone, fire, police, and EMS, because like we already discussed, we can stop. We just cannot stop quickly. Uh Unfortunately, you know, we all seen people drive around the lowered gates. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever noticed next to the signal mass, that's a flashing red light on the crossing arm. The one in the middle is also a flashing red light. So the one on the very end is a solid red stop light. So if you go around the, the lowered gate, not only did you run a stop light, you could be hit and injured by a train and law enforcement may want to have a talk with you also. Uh, but, uh, Stopping on the tracks, people. Oh, let me just squeeze in. I see a train coming. Let me squeeze in real quick before the train comes. I don't want to be blocked. I got to go. Got to go. And then they stop on top of the tracks, and then unfortunately they get struck by a train also. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I've seen that where somebody might even get stuck or stall out. I, I don't know how it always happens with with a truck or or somebody who just stalls out, and then they're they're in their car and they don't know what to do. I, I would think the first thing to do is if their car did stop. And they and they were at fault trying to get across the tracks, just to at least get out of the car and and get away from the 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 collision. Exactly. There's a blue and white sign, and uh, on every single railroad crossing approach, we're required by federal standard to have a blue and white sign. It's called the emergency notification system, the ENS. It has the toll free number of the dispatching railroad. It has the 
crossing identification number and then the dispatching railroad number on it. Uh, in the United States, there's approximately 402,000 crossings. Wow. 402. Union Pacific, we have slightly over 30,000 crossings in the United States. So every single crossing has that blue and white sign. Look for the toll-free number, look for the crossing ID, and that is a direct line to the railroad. Uh, and this is one time that you want to call if there's an emergency at a crossing. Call the railroad first, and then your second call to be to 911. You got to talk to the railroad. We got to get the word to the trains. There's an emergency up ahead. Come to an emergency stop. Just slow down. Stay out of town. Whatever it might be. Uh, because if you call 911, okay, where are you at? Main Street. Every, every city has a Main Street. Yep. Every city has a frontage road. Call the railroad. That talks railroad to us, that blue and white sign. And we're going to call 911 and the appropriate response agencies for you also. But call us, let us talk to the trains, and let's get the proper people headed that way for the rail from the railroad. Are, are those 800 numbers always manned? I mean, is there somebody always there ready to answer those calls? Oh, yes. That's part of the federal mandate. Uh, and it says the dispatching railroad. So our emergency center, we call it the Response Management Communication Center, RMCC. And it is 24 hours uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. It is our 911 system. For any emergency questions that you have about the railroad, you can call and those folks will get first responders headed your way or they can get you directed to the proper agency that can get you our internal department that can get you an answer. But but even if it was 30 seconds notice going from dispatch to the train to start slowing down, I mean that that could be the really the difference between life and death in some of those instances. 100%. Seconds matter. Seconds really matter. It's just like having a stroke. It's every second matters. You got to get that person first aid. Same thing. Every second matters. You got to call us and let's get the first aid, you know, notified to the train crews and everybody else. My guest is Buck Russell. He's the Union Pacific Railroad Manager of Public Safety. We're talking about safety around trains. And obviously, we're talking about safety. You guys have a safety message that you're always promoting and you're out promoting for rail safety week. Uh, don't you think that everyone basically knows at this point in, in your life that that trains are dangerous and that and you shouldn't be around a train if you're walking or or if you're going to be trying to get across the arms. I mean, you would think that most people would know that. So does does reminding them, does it seem futile that, that people are just not listening or, or it's still happening over and over and over again? Uh, it just, a lot of folks just don't know, or they've seen the movies or they've seen other, other people do a bad behavior and well, they got away with it. And, and I can too. Uh, I know personally, my, my spouse, my wife, she, uh, did not know about the blue and white sign. She didn't understand the dangers of railroads until we married and I was able to educate her. And that's actually something I do with all my family members, mostly the newer drivers. You're, you're going to listen to uncle buck do a railroad safety message okay. for you. But, uh, with the crossing incidences increasing or excuse me, decreasing over the last few years, I think we've been able to get that message out. And with rail safety week, we're all pushing the same message down the tracks to the communities, say the 7,300 communities Union Pacific operates in, but we're not only doing it on Union Pacific, it's all the railroads, it's all of our safety partners, safe kids. Uh, we're all pushing the cart down the tracks to save lives. When I, when I was in uh, radio forever ago, 
Uh, we used to do a remote and uh, remote uh, broadcast from this place. It was called Newsland, and and they and it was before the internet when you had all these different newspapers. They would have it was a store where you had all these different newspapers from around the country and all these different magazines, very ro- wild magazines. And one of them was called Hobo Times, and they would have story. You, maybe you re- remember it or, or heard of it. You got, <laughs> yeah. So in the Hobo Times, it would tell stories of people jumping on the rails and then riding on these freight trains either in, in the area that's in between the two cars or maybe in a box car. We've all seen that uh, conjunction, junction, what's your function, jumping, right? With the, with the, the hobos with, with the stick and the, and the handkerchief um, or riding in, the, in, the, in some of those other cars. Is, is, does that still happen? Are, are there people doing that? Are you, are you catching people doing that? Not as much. They, they understand that, it. number one, it is trespassing. They are committing a crime and we will prosecute, you know, uh, working through our police department. We do have a police department. uh, We call them special agents. uh, And they will actively, if there's enough, you know, uh, evidence to pursue charges, they they will. Uh, And these folks could end up in jail. But I think with working to get that message out with all of our safety partners that it is this deadly, don't try it. There's other ways to do it. Uh, you know, to, to travel, to see the country, uh, just don't do it. Plus, like I said, number one, it's trespassing and it is deadly. I, I, I have to admit to you, Buck, I, um, I, I had that dream in college that I wanted to go. <laughs> I, I actually bought a railroad at the time, a map of all the different where, where railroad uh, railroads in the entire United States. And it, it was segmented by, you know, the Southeast, the Northeast and everything. I was, I was, I was considering it, but I, I never did it. I, I, Good. I, you know, <laughs> I you know, it's maybe, I can't say it's one of my, my regrets in life, but I'm telling you, I think it could have been fun and then end up somewhere up in the Northeast. I don't know. <laughs> but no, we actively, you know, look for those, the trespassers, you know, they're not pedestrians. They are trespassers yeah. uh, on our property. And then we do a lot of outreach towards the oil and gas exploration, uh, New Mexico, West Texas, South Texas, uh, and then we do a lot of uh, outreach towards harvest activities, uh, sugarcane in Louisiana, uh, grain and cotton uh, to educate those folks also who drive those slow moving, uh, low profile, heavy haul moving vehicles. Because those are the vehicles that, you know, that, that can actually turn a train over. They injure our employees uh, and also members of the public. So those are vehicle and opportunities that we're always looking for to get an audience with. I got two last ones for you there, Buck. Okay, first, it it always made me crazy trying to figure out how, all right, I can understand you have the locomotives in the front, and it's pulling the train, but then you have an engine right there in the middle, and you have some in the back. So how, how are they pushing the train without pushing the other cars off of the track, <laughs> and how do you coordinate all of it so it's all moving at the same speed so you're not pulling too much and pushing too much? The the technology we have nowadays is absolutely amazing. I never, ever would have thought 26 years ago when I started that we would do what we do. Plus the skill level of our, our, our professionals running those trains that just they they care. They, they're proud of their job. And it's a, a feather in your hat. Make it from A to B without anything happening. But what it is, they're distributed units, the distributed power units, and the engineer tells those units where they're at in the train. And then they either are, they can have the middle tr- uh, locomotive braking and the rear ones 
with power. Uh, and it helps get over undulating territories, you know, going up right. and down hills. It helps with braking uh, as you're going up and down hills. And we can move a lot more freight with the technology. So it puts less trains out on our network, I guess you could put it. So just the technology that we have and the professionals we have running those trains has really allowed us to have those distributed locomotives in the trains. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating to see uh, how all that works, but it, but it's starting to make more sense now. So finally, is it dangerous for a train to roll over a penny on the track? And, and I say this because when I was a kid, I was growing up in uh, near uh, near in De- in the Detroit area, and and we were at this place called Greenfield Village in Dearborn, Michigan, and it's an old eight you know seventeen hundreds a village, and they have a little railroad that goes through there. And Ben Franklin, who's walking around, he he you know my brothers and I were putting our pennies on the railroad track right there, waiting for the for the train to come by, and he goes, you know, a, a penny on the railroad is a penny flat. I've never forgotten that. But I've also wondered if you put a penny on the railroad on a real train, is it going to mess you guys up? It won't derail a locomotive. <laughs> you know, it, it weighs about 500,000 pounds, but it puts the person who put the penny in danger. Uh, they're trespassing on private property, uh, and they're engrossed in their activity, and they may not see uh, rail equipment or, or a train coming. Uh, they may slip and fall uh, you know, on the ballast. That it, It's, it's kind of loose. It's loose rocks. Uh, but also when that think about the steel rails that hold all that weight yeah. and that giant locomotive with those steel wheels, it's going to squish that penny or that nickel and it could shoot it out like a rocket, just like a, a missile. And unfortunately, it could strike somebody and it could take their life if it's in the proper spot. You know, so it's just not working. Go to the 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 cowboy and Indian museum and use the penny <laughs> squasher out front right. in the lobby. You know, that's that's the that's exactly what it does. And everybody's safe yeah uh, would it take something it would probably have to take something big i've seen put people put rocks on on the railroad tracks and and other debris uh, i would think it would have to be something big to to really stop the train or or mess you guys up right yeah, it's it's a, just like the semis you know the loaded semis yeah. with with sand and you know other agricultural products that really you know myself being a public safety guys gives me some some concern sure Sure, sure. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation, Buck. I, I appreciate all of your uh, all of your history and and all of the safety messages. It it really is nice to talk to you at, at, with your experience to to know what it's like to be on the rails. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat with it, and good to meet you. Well, that was awesome. <laughs> it was super cool. Uh, it's interesting uh, to hear that he only basically went through. Uh, just this part of the country. I, I think that's how it works for a lot of the uh, folks. They they keep them close to a home base. So if you live like Buck does in San uh, Antonio, that you're going to be running rails somewhere there in South Texas, maybe into New Mexico. Uh, if you live in, uh, I, I don't know, uh, if you live in Missouri, you're going to be probably doing the Missouri run and through St. Louis and maybe to Kansas City. Uh, and if you if you live out here in the Rocky Mountains, you'll probably be doing that run. Uh, but it's interesting to see how those uh, folks do what they do in, in around tracks. And, and yeah, I, I used to read that Hobo Times. And yeah, I, I still have that feeling that I would want to ride on the rails. And I, I know, <laughs> I know it, it would make Buck crazy, but you know, tra- trespassing really isn't that big of a crime anymore, is it? 
Uh, <laughs> maybe it is. Uh, and, and maybe they do put people in jail for it. But uh, anyway, I... <laughs> I, I think it would be so much fun, and I've there, there's there's YouTube videos I know, and I, I don't know if they if they taken them off, but I know years ago I've seen YouTube videos of uh, people documenting their adventures with uh, riding on trains and going from place to place to place, and 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 yeah, it is dangerous, obviously, but there's always a, a an inherent risk about anything you do, and and sometimes can it be done safely? I I think if we're all being honest, yeah, there there are times when the train is running uh, either at one mile an hour or, or stopped, that you could jump on and off uh, and, and situate yourself, and then the train's going again. Is it probably the safest thing to be out in the open air while the train is going at 50 or 60 miles an hour down the tracks somewhere in the middle of a, a country where, where you don't have any emergency services within miles and miles and miles because the trains go sometimes where the people aren't? Uh, yeah, it's probably not the safest thing to do, but... Again, there's the adventure part of it, right? That's that's part of being on the adventure of ride the rails uh, and being like uh, the hobos in in conjunction junction. What's your function? <laughs> you know, um, it's just in, in that in that what it is. Anyway, uh, I, I I don't think at my my uh, my my ripe old age uh, in my fifties now that I'm going to be hitting the rails and, and I think my wife would kill me before I even even tried to jump on, <laughs> jump on a train. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I thought I hope you uh, enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.